Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Don't Retire Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and we have uh, a a true celebrity on our show today. Um, Jeanette Pavini is an Emmy Award-winning consumer and investigative reporter, Uh, She's completed over 10,000 money-saving segments for CBS News, Hallmark's Home and Family, and Market Watch. She's the author of The Joy of Saving, Money Lessons I Learned from My Italian-American Father, and 20 Years as a Consumer Reporter. And she offers people unique money-saving strategies. She's been a guest contributor on The Today Show. Her advice has been featured absolutely everywhere, hundreds of places, Good Morning America, Oprah.com, and now, thankfully, uh, Don't Retire, Graduate. Jeanette, I cannot read your bio. It is simply too uh, too long and amazing for, for us to, to fit it into a half-hour show, but welcome. Thank you for being on this morning. Oh, thank you for having me on. I'm really happy and excited to be here. You have, um, you have an incredible career of, uh, of helping consumers make decisions around personal finance and starting mostly with money mindset. And so can, can you share a little bit uh, with us sort of how, how this became your passion? And, um, you know, was this deliberate? Did you know about it? Was it an accident? Did you fall into this, this magnificent career? Um, and, and how did you discover that money mindset was the key to getting started? Well, you know, um, I... I I guess I really developed this career out of my own need in a way. I was um, living, you know, in the Bay Area, which is a very expensive place to live. And this is going back about 25 years. And I was a single mom at the time. And I I was having a hard time. I was, you know, struggling along. And I, I went into this thinking, okay, if how do, how do I make it easier? How can I afford to live uh, you know, buy my kids clothes, you know, pay the bills and all these things. And so I pitched a show idea uh, through our public access. And the show ended up being kind of like a, a uplifting show, but it wasn't really about, you know, saving money. So I, I took my idea and I went to a local station and that had a show uh, called All Consuming. And I did a story, my first one, on how to put a kid's wardrobe together for under a hundred bucks, a complete wardrobe. And it was a hit. It just resonated. People were writing in and they wanted more. And really, Eric, that was my very first segment. I wasn't even reporting at the time, but I just started doing these money-saving segments. And it just got so much attention that it just evolved into this you know, 20 plus year uh, career. And and I realized along the way through my father, uh, this wonderful Italian American who saved every penny, that, you know, your mindset had more to do with it than just about anything when it came to saving money. I, I love that. And I, I think at the end of the day, consumers love to save money. They, everyone loves to feel like they've gotten a deal, like they've gotten mm-hmm. a sale. Um, I think some consumers... Um, 
like to rationalize some of their purchasing by saying, hey, I, I got such a good price on this, I had to buy it, even though it wasn't something they needed. So um, I, I, maybe you can talk to consumer mindset a little bit in addition to money mindset, because you certainly have the, the background for that. But um, what, what are what is the... What are the endorphins? I'm no scientist, but what what are the endorphin rushes that come in from feeling like you got a good deal? It's kind of like the the car buying experience is feeling like you won you won a deal or something. Yeah, you know, I like to say many many consumers' closets are filled with great deals still with their price tags on it. You know, um, in other words, they buy it just because it's a great deal, not because you need it. And I think that part of it comes uh, with, you know, kind of like the, okay, I got the deal and, and it's this thrill of success. But my, my theory is people need to get more excited about seeing $100 in their savings account than they do seeing the $400 pair of shoes that was marked down to $100 in their closet. You have to shift what excites you about money. Uh, and, and it's interesting, you know, when people start saving money and make the choice that instead of spending it, they're gonna save it, and they actually go online and they look and see what's in their bank account and that it's growing, it starts to shift over to that's where your obsession and excitement comes from. But I think that there's this, you know, it feels good when we buy something new um, and, and it's, it's exciting, but it's very short-lived until we move on to the next. And yet when you save money, it stays with you because that money's still there. So I often say, put something on hold, decide whether you really need it, and then make the decision of buying the purchase. And the bottom line is, there will always be another sale. So if you miss it this time and you wait, that's okay, because something will go on sale again. So you're a single mom, you're, you're living in a San Francisco area, Bay Area, 25 years ago, one of the most expensive places to live in the United States still. Um, so the only question I can come up with is how? How do you do that? How do you bootstrap um, in a situation that sounds almost dire? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, definitely living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, this is back when I was, you know, in my... 20 so actually I'm um, probably about 30 years ago I was in my 20s and uh, late 20s uh, so I, I I think that I was lucky in that I saw my father uh, who was you know part of the the greatest generation right they lived through the depression they lived through World War II and they they came out of that era not only you know surviving but really thriving and i i don't know how my dad did it but he raised there were five of us kids so seven mouths to feed and we lived in san francisco i don't think my dad made ever more than probably at his height maybe and of course this is going way back but you know forty five fifty thousand dollars a year and yet he, he, we never really went without. I mean, we didn't live extravagantly, but we, we went to private Catholic schools in San Francisco. We, you know, we always had food on our table and there were seven mouths to feed. But, you know, so I learned from him that you, he, he just, you know, he always said in my generation, you'd earn a quarter and then you'd save 10 cents, you'd spend 15. Your generation, 
earns a quarter, spends the quarter, and then borrows another quarter at 25% interest. So he, he really started to, to talk to me and spend time with me. And I learned a lot from that generation of, um, of, of that money mindset. It was never, they never felt you know, deprived of anything at all. They just felt more of a, the sense of gratitude for everything. It was amazing. Um, and when my dad passed away about six years ago, I mean, he and my mom owned their home in San Francisco. He had a significant amount of money saved in, this, in the bank account um, and, you know, to take care of my mom. And, and so it was really his mindset that evolved my mindset. So I'm going to ask you a loaded question, and, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, because I don't want to mess up your family Thanksgivings forever, but <laughs> did your four siblings also glean this knowledge, or did he just happen to spend that time with you, or you were receptive to it? Is this something that the whole family adopted, or was this something you were just, you had your antenna up and said, I, I want to adopt that? <laughs> um, I think all of us grew up that way. I was the youngest of the five, so I think they've we've all adopted it. We're all very conscious of of spending money and trying not to, and always living within our means. I think that's key. I think I'm the only one though that built a career on it and wanted to share that with people, because you know, Eric, what I really try to do is is make people see that it's it's there's there is always a better way to save money there is a way to to move forward because when you have credit card debt and when you can't pay bills i've been there i know it's it's like a, a monkey on your back that just doesn't seem to ever want to get off but but you can and um and so i did build a career on that and and it really it took off because I think that this is something that people get excited about once they hear, okay, wait a minute, this is something I actually do have control over. It's important to realize you wanna have control over your finances as opposed to your finances having control over you. And this is at any age. I mean, I'm in my mid fifties and you know, a lot of my friends are my age or a little older thinking about retirement and a lot of them are still worried about you know saving money and so i think that if you could start this at a young age that's great but i i do believe it's never too late there's a there's a whole lot of of evidence to support that that time is the greatest resource when it comes to wealth building mm -hmm. um, time and behavior starting early and doing the right things um, really are far more important than having the right investment or the right even luck uh, you know it, it really is about behavior Yes. There are um, there are so many young people today who are st who are stuck with student loans. For example, um, I think it's even worse than the consumer debt. That that I think in the eighties and nineties there was a lot of consumer debt, but now I think it's almost all student loans for young people. They can't launch. Yeah. They they may want to, and especially in the Bay Area. I mean, forget it. Uh, people are, are if I'm not mistaken, people are renting RVs in their driveway for thousands of dollars a month. Like. That's crazy. <laughs> so how do you do that? How do you, how do you get the education that you, that you desire and that you're capable of, of handling so that you can build a career and build a Vitae like so many of us did in, you know, you and I are contemporaries. So what we did in the, in the 80s and 90s to build our, our Vitae, if you will, how do young people do that when the price tag is exorbitant and they're going to wind up with uh, starting in a hole instead of starting at zero? 
Yeah, it, it's it is a different era, and um, and our era that we grew up in was different than our parents, and so I think each generation presents this this set of challenges, and um, and I you know I believe in education, but I do agree it's really difficult uh, when you come out of school and you get a job and you know and then you spend years paying back your your debt. I think it comes back down to really living within your means and and. I feel like the first step for anyone in that position is to really to sit down and I mean it goes back to basics just writing out what what all of your monthly expenses are um, and what's set in stone like your student loan payment or your rent or things like that and what you have flexibility in. Um, your cell phone bills, your entertainment, you know, your grocery bill. Your grocery bill is the one thing that you have the most flexibility on, and I'll explain that in a minute. And then you look at the things that, you know, aren't set in stone, that are flexible, and you say, okay, how do I either live without this for now or make it the least expensive that I possibly can? Uh, and for example, I'll, I'll give you your grocery bill I mentioned. People just go to the grocery store and they spend hundreds of dollars. If you plan your grocery bill, if you plan your grocery shopping list around what's on sale at one of your local grocery stores, you're one of their reward card members, you take advantage of any deals, you use coupons. Coupons have come a long way. Apps make it so easy. Um, you, you then take control of that bill. And I've done this experiment, Eric, so many times you save about 40 to 50% off your grocery bill. Right there, you could save 100, 150 bucks a month, depending on you know what type of groceries you buy. So now you have a little bit more money that you're saving that could go towards those things that are set in stone. I have a great story of a, of a college student, someone coming out of college, that uh, wrote to me yesterday with a photo and she read the book and she didn't really know about coupon codes or promotion codes, and she was ordering something that was $40 online. She decided to, to you know, Google and look and find, and she found a promotional code that saved her 50% off her first-time purchase. And so she was so excited, she took a picture of it, and she saved 20 bucks. So those little things add up, and I don't, and you mentioned time. It, it takes, what, five minutes to, to look for a promotion code, and yet you could save the equivalent of, you know, an hour and a half of, of your wages, you know, if you're making, you know, 14, 15 bucks an hour. So, so I think that it's really knowledge is power. And then the other thing in regards to student loans is to talk to your lenders. I'm a firm believer if you have credit card debt or any type of debt, if you talk to your lender, you explain the situation, a lot of times they will, I think more now than ever, they'll try to work with you. And I think that that's also a, a step people need to take. There's, there's a, first of all, I'd like you to talk to my wife about the grocery shopping because she, she does most of that for us. And I'm quite certain she just indiscriminately knocks stuff into the basket. So if, if yeah. Mayor, if you hear this episode, uh, I just threw you under the bus and I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm actually I'll, just I'll, kidding. I'll, just kidding. Yeah, I want to stay married too, Jeanette, if you don't mind. So I'm going to, I'm going to rescind that remark. There we go. Well, it's easy to do though, Eric, you know, I do it myself. I'm guilty of it uh, constantly, but, but honestly, when I was really living on that paycheck to paycheck 
time in my life, that was one area, boy, that you you save. Same with personal care items. I mean, you see these things where people, you know, are, are used like at a pharmacy, all these like, uh, you know, bucks back or the rewards, and then they use it, combine it with sales, and they end up spending $10 and they get $100 worth of things. It, my mother's caregiver was a big person that did that, and she would show me these, what she did, and it was amazing. So it's worth the time. And, and just one other thing in regards to the budget is I think, you know, my dad's day, I have a whole chapter on this in my book, it, the envelope system. I mean, we he had envelopes that were marked groceries, gas, clothes, what have you. And when he would get paid, he would put that cash for that month in that envelope. And when we ran out of that cash, you know, it was a lot of pasta for dinner until the next payday. Uh, it, that is that consciousness of, of your money. He had a relationship with his money. That's the problem today. We don't. We don't have a relationship with our money. We don't have cash. We don't turn over, you know, our hard-earned cash. We give a credit card and we're unconscious as we sign it, myself included, many times. You know, I, I think, for example, I was in New York once and I was shopping and I bought some clothes and I was talking to someone and I didn't even look and I, when I got back to the hotel I said oh my god I just spent this much and I think it was like seven hundred dollars and I wasn't even wasn't anything even amazing that I I just was a couple pairs of pants and I thought to myself would I have stood there and turned over seven one hundred dollar bills for this and there was no way and so I brought it back and I kept like a hundred and fifty dollars of the stuff that I really wanted my dad had a relationship with money because he touched it. He turned it over. We have to get back to having that relationship. And I know we don't use cash, but we use currency. We need to be aware. Use your debit card. Keep track of it. Know what cash you're turning over. That, that to me, is, is the key to the money mindset. I think it goes even deeper than just the lack of physical cash. So many apps and so many um, so many financial institutions have created what feel like games. Even investing has has become gamified, <laughs> and I, I think that's actually quite dangerous because these aren't games. I mean, this is your livelihood. This is not uh, Atlantic City or Las Vegas. This is your livelihood and your and your financial future. And it is so easy to hit an ATM or to just swipe a card and think nothing of it until, you know, the 28th of the month when you get a, when you get your statement. Mm -hmm. For people who pay their credit cards in full every month, which I encourage absolutely everyone to at all times if you're if you're able and hopefully you're able, um, yeah. if that's the case, yeah, there's perks, there's airline miles if you if you're traveling again, there's there's cash back, there's all kinds of different things. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think I get 2% back on everything I buy. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty significant as long as you don't pay interest. Exactly. So you can, you can make it a tool. Now, you mentioned starting with the, the have-tos and, and writing down the things in your budget um, that are critical. For example, the student loan payment's not flexible, you have to pay it, but that works when you're 22. What happens when you're 17 and you're contemplating borrowing $50,000 a year for an undergraduate education in, in, in the fine arts? And you really don't know, and I'm picking on that. It could have been anything. I was an English major, so I'm allowed. But mm -hmm. if, if you were going to be, to borrow that kind of money for an undergraduate education when you're too young to have any idea what that's really going to be. Yeah. I think that's a very dangerous thing. 
Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you on that. I think, uh, I mean, I, I always recommend, you know, what, what's exciting to you at 17 or 18 um, might not be as exciting to you when you're in your 20s and when you're looking at the career opportunities. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of great community colleges out there uh, where you can go and get, you know, get your undergraduate, get different, uh, you know, classes in the areas that you want to possibly pursue and spend two years deciding, is this really what I want to do? Are these classes what interest me? Because nine times out of 10, unless you're, you know, really completely sure of something, you change your mind. And so I think that that's one way to save a lot of money. And and then also it gives you time to maybe save a little money, apply for some, you know, different grants, different uh, scholarships. I have a whole chapter in there about scholarship money that goes unused, because there's, there's a lot of random scholarships out there that people just don't know about. So it gives you time to prepare. I think that that is so important to have a plan, not only a plan of action, but a plan of payback, you know, and, and how to lower how much you'll actually be spending on your college. How much time do you th- do you spend or do you encourage people to spend balancing between the living for now and the planning for the future? There's a, and, and let me, let me just, just add a little bit of color to that real fast before you, before you answer, because I, we've seen people who, who literally are incredible savers and they, they save a huge amount of what they make and then they never enjoy it and they're not healthy enough or they, 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 they die too soon. And it, it's just, they never took the trip. They never lived their lives. We certainly see other people who spend a dollar ten for every dollar they make and wind up in trouble in a whole different way. How do you strike a balance there? What do you what do you suggest or recommend to to maintain that without going too far either direction? Yeah, I think no matter what, let's. That's kind of a two of two parts to that answer. Here is the first thing is I think no matter how much you're making, even like I look back at my parents when they were. I mean, talk about living paycheck to paycheck. They always had fun. They always got together with the, the, they had the gang, which was the group that they grew up with. It's a great story. Uh, but they, they would get together and have potluck dinners. They'd have picnics. They'd take advantage of free museum days. I mean, we grew up and we had a lot of fun. So there's free ways to enjoy your life. Then when you get to a place in your life, when you're living more comfortably, I don't think you should be afraid to, you know, spend the money in a way that if on things you enjoy taking the trip. It's just when you do that, let's say you say, all right, we're going to go spend three weeks in Europe. We've, we've saved for this. Uh, we've earmarked this money. This is, we can enjoy this still look for the best flights, look for the best deals on hotels and go, but just, you know, take the, take the time it takes to, to make sure you're getting the best deal. You don't want to be the guy in the seat where the, you know, the person next to you paid half of what you're paying, you know, so, so just do your research. But I think, you know, and I think you get to a place in your life where you have money and you're thinking about retirement. And this is where I think, um, you know, financial planners working with someone who who knows uh, how to to make your life enjoyable as you grow older and making sure that you'll have the money 10 and 20 years from now. And, you know, one of the, the things that I always say is you want someone who 
who knows now whether you're going to be missing out on something later on unless you do something right now. You know, I mean, they can tell you, hey, look, I would I would invest here. I would do this. I would save this. You could do this so that now, so that later on, you're not, you know, you're not struggling. And I think that that's a, a I, 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 th I see a lot of value in that, a lot of value. Um, and so I think there's different stages. One, you're kind of in control and the other, you could work with someone to be uh, to help you along that path, but I think you have to enjoy life. I mean, you know, one of the best stories is when my my dad he saved, and we took a lot of little local staycations. But my mom had no idea how much money he had saved, and when he was passing away, my mom was worried about, you know, am I going to have to go live somewhere? You know, when eventually, and this and that. I said, no, mom, dad saved enough that you know, you and dad saved enough that you could be, we'll have someone come into the home. You don't have to leave the home. And I told her how much he had saved in the bank. And she, her mouth dropped and she looked at him and she said, and we never went anywhere. And you know, here, it was just so funny. You <laughs> right. know, he's on his last days. It was one of the most priceless moments. You know, they were married 65 years. But thank, but, but in a way it was good because my mom has, she's still alive and we still are able to, to give her the care. But I think, um, I think we have to enjoy our lives. They, but also, I think living within your means is is very enjoyable. And finding, I don't know, just I think I think twenty twenty was very humbling for a lot of us because we realized the value of a hug, we realized just the value of simplicity, of just being with family. I mean, if COVID didn't, if COVID taught us anything about about you know humility, I think it came through the you know, being in a position where we couldn't see or hug people. So I think we go back to basics now and we learn to enjoy within our means. And if your means allows you to go to Europe for six months, great. But if your means allows you to do a staycation and have fun at a local motel, then, then enjoy that as well. So Jeanette, you've done tens of thousands of stories on consumers and uh, and you've done some investigative work i know you i think you you blew the lid off some uh some some wireless carriers who were uh fleecing the public and you've done some some investigative stuff has there been um other than the the 100 kids wardrobe that i know launched your passion for this and launched uh, launched your career but was there one sort of aha moment or one story that jumps out at you that you said, I, I can't believe I got involved in this, but, but boy, am I glad I did? Wow, what a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I did do a lot of stories that, that stayed with my heart and, um, and, you know, jumped out at me and, and grabbed, my, grabbed on to me. I think that the, the one story... I think this was it was really a powerful story for me. I used to do um, when I was at CBS, try to help consumers, and I would say the overall pattern was the people that would write to me and and or call in on our hotline that they were having consumer troubles were a lot of times people that just didn't know exactly how to talk the talk. In other words, how to call and they would find at customer service and and you know really know their customer rights. And that I think was like the overall theme. But there was one story about a, a woman who had really a rough life. She had a child that had cerebral palsy. She was a struggling single mom in the Bay Area. And she had been in a really not great relationship when her child was born. And she realized she needed to be the, a mother before anything else. And, and with the partner she was with, that was not 
the situation. And so she had been renting an apartment. It was on, her name was on the lease. And um, this guy would not get out of the apartment. He went and, and so she went, you know, and told the sheriff and the police and said, look, I, I'm, I'm moving. He's on the lease. To make a long story short, because her name was on it, the, the lease, it affected her credit. It affected her credit so severely that she couldn't even get the proper housing because it, it ended up turning into eviction. And so the eviction showed on hers, even though she tried to do all the right things. So it went on her credit. She couldn't get the right. It, it, it was just, it was a really sad situation. And she was trying so hard with a child with very severe special needs. So she called me up and I was able to help her I contacted the three credit reporting bureaus. I explained the situation. I contacted the lawyer that had done the eviction. He contacted the landlord. They, it took months, but we got everything resolved so that her credit was cleared up and her name was cleared. And she was able to buy, I mean, not buy, to rent a house that was a, a much better neighborhood. I mean, much better for her child. It had wheelchair access. So that stood out to me because it really made me realize how, how we could do something as simple as signing a lease and not realize all the things that could happen down the way. So I just, I realized at that moment how powerful your signature is. And I always have told consumers, just know what you're signing, know the potential downside. Now this is an extreme case, but also know your credit impact. Like people forget about their, you know, things going on their credit or their credit scores. And it's, it's important. You know, you can get three free credit reports a year uh, through annualcreditreport.com. I, I think that's the, the truly free one. And um, know your credit. So that stood out to me because for so many reasons, but mainly because how something could snowball and affect you for years. That's an amazing story. And I'll bet you somewhere um she is remembering that in a way that um that was life-changing that you can't even imagine you know uh, yeah. and, and has shared that story with other people no doubt and given them hope so that's 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 awesome yeah I, i've actually stayed in touch with her when i was leaving cbs i remember i i could even i, I it was the last phone message i got was she was crying on the phone and she said jeanette you're my angel i'm so excited you won't believe this we have a house it has a little white picket fence and it has wheelchair access and um it was like just such a great way to end that phase of of my work there but you know, there were so many, so many stories. And I'll tell you, Eric, the best stories were the stories that, that of, of people. It wasn't something that was a report that came out from, you know, some government agency, although those were good stories, but it was always what real people were experiencing. I'll tell you, the strength of the human spirit, its willingness to change, its ability to change, its mindset, it's in there. Um, and I also, one other thing I'll say is to take it, people just, there's an awareness, know what's available out there for you, um, it, you know, through help, because there's, there's, it's fine to accept the help because it's there to get you to the next place. I'm so uh, disappointed that we're at the end of the show because this has been so fantastic. I, I, I knew you'd be a wonderful guest and I had no idea just how moving our conversation would be. And so I thank you for that. Um, I need an extra credit assignment, though, because, you know, you're not getting off the hook here. Um, all, our, our listeners need to know what they can do as a as one action item uh, coming out of our time together today. What would that extra credit assignment be? 
So the extra credit assignment for the listeners is quite simple, but probably the most important thing that they will do uh, as, as you, whether you're ready on your journey to financial freedom or are uh, just starting, I want you to just do a, a list, two lists, one, things that are set in stone that you have no control over, and one list of things that have flexibility. And think of everything. I mean, it could be your coffee and scone that you buy in the morning. And look at the list of flexibility and pick three of those things, just three to start with, and decide how you could either eliminate that cost or lower it. And then I did that at the beginning of the year as an experiment for myself when my book came out. And I was able to save a hundred, I think it was about $160 a month. Um, I called my uh, my cell phone carrier. I got a lower rate. I called my home alarm system. I got a lower rate. And I um, there was one other thing, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I did, and I saved about 160 a month. Do that, and then that money is now money that you can put into your savings account. And then just decide that you want to find joy in saving. Great advice, great extra credit assignment. I encourage everyone to follow that. I think it's a, um, it's an easy but but incredibly important exercise. So, where can folks find out more about you? Where can they get a copy of your book? Yeah, so the joy of saving is available on Amazon, uh, and I have a whole joy of saving community, um, Jeanette Pavini, the joy of saving community through Facebook and Instagram, um, and. You know, I'm more than happy to always share tips. People send in their tips. And it's just a real community where we try to find, you know, joy and happiness in what we have and in saving money. Well, I I love it. I hope folks will check out your website and uh, a copy of your book. Thank you so much for for spending so much time with us this morning. I think we ran long, but I I just wanted to hear everything you had to say. So thank you, Jeanette. This was a pleasure. It was, pleasure was mine. Thank you for all you do for you and your for your listeners, really. Thank you for listening to Don't Retire, Graduate. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Don't Retire, Graduate is a book available in print, Kindle, and audio formats and a workbook with all the exercises you need to build your own financial freedom plan. For more information, go to brotmanmedia.com or buy your copy and leave us a review on Amazon. Please also check out our online financial literacy courses at bfguniversity.com. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, let us begin changing the way we view retirement. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at brotmanmedia.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, 
the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.